Uh, when I was somewhere in elementary school, so it had been between third and fifth grade, um, and I know this because I was, I was homeschooled between third and seventh grade, and so we had this elementary school, or when I was in elementary school, we had this uh, homeschool talent show at our church. And so we participated in this, and I remember that my mom wanted me and my older brother to sing. They, she wanted us to sing a song, a talent show. We didn't want to do it. And so she promised us if we sang in this talent show, she would buy us a new video game. This was when the original PlayStation was out. Uh, she would buy us a new video game, and it, would be the, it was the video game based off the movie Toy Story. And so this was like one of the first times where you could like be characters from a movie. So this was like really awesome. You could be like Buzz Lightyear and Woody and all these sort of things or like, yes. And so we do this thing. We sing at this talent show. Or we got this prize. And I think I also remember this because our parents like never bribed us for anything. It was always, you're going to do this or else. And so I don't know why they decided to reward us for this uh, occasion. And so we did it and we got this video game and it was awesome. Um, but we only sang because we had to do it. And today, as we continue our time in the book of Exodus, we're going to be looking at this question of why do we sing? Why do believers, as followers of Jesus, do we sing? Uh, that's the question we're looking at this morning. Now, uh, it's interesting, uh, you may not know this, but in the Bible, there is actually over 400 references about singing. So over 400 times does the Bible talk about us singing. And in fact, about 50 of those times is an, ex an explicit command to sing. So it's not just saying that we should sing or singing is great, but it's actually commanding us and asking us to sing. And so if you think about it, this is kind of weird. Like if you were to stack up all the commands in the Bible, you get things like don't murder and sing, right? Don't sleep with someone else's wife and sing, right? Don't cheat and sing, right? That's kind of, that seems, especially in our culture today, when we're not a singing culture, that seems kind of weird. And so to many of us, if we're honest, I think sometimes we even view singing on a Sunday morning as a kind of add-on to the service, right? It's something that you have to do in order to get to the sermon to actually learn something, or maybe I'll come intentionally late or, or whatever, so I don't have to sing. It's like something that you have to do. Uh, it can be kind of weird. But even in that, here's what we know about singing, right? Uh, we are apt to sing when, there, when we face times of bewilderment or of, of something awesome or mysterious. So, for example, uh, this is why there are so many songs about love, right? Because it, it, it captures so many emotions. We're trying to figure it out. Uh, when you're in love for the first time, you know, you're trying to do all these things. It's, it's interesting. And so we have these songs. We sing about love because it does something to us. Or maybe if your favorite team wins a championship, right? You and a bunch of people, you start screaming, you start singing, you start yelling because there's something about that moment that, that causes you to do something that's above just simply talking, right? Something in you says we got to do more than that. Or if you go to a concert, right? This is one of the few times that we publicly sing together. If you go to a concert, the, the vibe is cool. There's people together. And so you sing. What we see is that although even in our culture today, although we're not a singing culture, there are times that moves us to sing. And that's what we're going to see this morning. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, you can open, to, op, open there with us. If you don't have one, there's a black one somewhere around you, and you can take that one home if you do not own a Bible. We are going this morning to see a song that was sung by the Israelites um, after they left Egypt and across the Red Sea. If you were with us last week, uh, we saw the Israelites leaving Egypt. They saw, we saw the, them cross through the sea. The Egyptians uh, were killed, and so they are now finally free. Uh, they're not going back. We've been in the book of Exodus for a few months now, uh, and we're seeing how God has chosen and saved the people out of Egyptian slavery and bondage and bringing them to a promised 
land. And so they see all the, the miracles and the mightiness of God through the plagues. They go through this ocean or the sea, and they see God rescue them yet again. And so they respond by singing. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of me just straight reading through the verses, we're actually going to have uh, these verses read to us actually in a way that the original readers and uh, audience would have heard them. Uh, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament in those times, most people could not read. And so if you had someone that simply read the Bible to them, you couldn't follow along on the screen, it would be kind of boring. Uh, you would actually have people perform them. Even the New Testament letters, they would actually be performed to an audience so that people could follow along and make it interesting uh, for them. And so I'm going to invite Debbie up uh, this morning, and she's going to read to us uh, Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21, and you can follow along or listen, and then we're going to see some themes that we can read or that we learn from the story. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your ad adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath, and it consumed them like a stubble. The waters heaped up at the blast from your nostrils, and the, the current stood firm like a dam, and the water depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. And when the people hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. And all the inhabitants of Canaan will panic. Terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as stones because of your powerful arm. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchased pass by. And you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the water of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walk through the sea 
on dry ground. Then the prophetess Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women came out following her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. So this song was sung after they left uh, Egypt after the Red Sea, uh, and it actually would have been repeated many, many times. So what I want to do is I want to pull out for us four themes that we see from this song as to why we they sang and why we sing now today. And so the first thing that we see is that we sing because of the strength and power of God. Right, we sing because of the strength and the power of God. What they've done here is they've witnessed uh, God's mighty act and his hand. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. You can follow along or just listen because I'm going to pick a few out. And in the second half of verse 1 through verse 2, it says, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Or verse 3, it says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Uh, Verse 6, again, it says, The Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. In verse 7, it says, You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. Or verse 8, which is the best part, it says, The water heaped up at the blast from your nostrils. That's a mighty sneeze. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And that parted the Red Sea. What we see happening here uh, is the song that is being sung that would have been repeated throughout generations was to show them that what happened in Egypt, and particularly what just happened through the Red Sea, was not to be seen as some random lucky event. It was to be seen as something that God did to provide and to save Israel. They were saved by his power, and so they sung because they were awed by his strength and his power. It moved them to sing. Uh, And it kind of reminds me a little bit, a couple weeks ago, I took my kids to get the car washed. Uh, It was one of those where you vacuum it yourself, and then you go into the car wash. And so Finley's five and Romans two, and they're really excited about it. It was awesome. And so we do the vacuuming thing, and then they get to sit and stand in the front seat. And as we're going under the car wash, Finley's excited, and all of a sudden, Roman, his eyes get really big, and he kind of shrinks back, right? Because it gets dark. There's these colors. It's loud. Like the power and the strength of the car wash, what he first thought was going to be awesome, he starts to get afraid of it. And so what we see happening here is this power and the strength of God cause an emotive response that would lead them to sing because they've seen something that is majestic and amazing. And so what we see is that Israel was saved by God's power, and so they sing, and we do the same thing, right? Through the coming of Jesus, his power, his strength over darkness and evil and the demonic forces us, the forces, forces allows us to sing because of his strength and his power. He overcomes, as we sang earlier, he fights our battles. And so again, we sing uh, because of the strength and the power of God. That is one reason why as followers of Christ, we sing. A second reason we sing in this song, or one of the reasons we sing that we see in this song, is that we sing because of the personal intervention of God. We sing because of the personal intervention of our God. He's not just strong and mighty and powerful, but he intervenes in a personal way. A couple of verses again in verse 6. It says again, the Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Your right hand shattered the enemies. In verse 7, you overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. 
In verse 9 and 10, it says, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. This was the Egyptians' attitudes as they pursued the Israelites. And then what does it say in verse 10? But you blew like lead in the mighty waters. Or verse 12, it says, you stretched out your right hand. And in verse 13, it says, with your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed, right? This song is not about how great the Israelites are. It's about how great God is and his power and his personal intervention in saving them, right? You saved us. It was your hand. It was your deeds. It was your love, right? This is why Miriam grabbed the tambourine and went nuts, Right? This is kind of cool that God not only is powerful and strong and mighty, but he moves in a personal way because he cares about his people. Right? This kind of reminds me of like the two or three times a year where we in the congregation clap without being prompted by the band, you know, during a song. It's like, oh, what's happening here? It must be really good, right? The spirit's moving. Anybody? Okay, that happens a couple times. Um, <laughs> that's what's happening here, that they sing God's power and not only his power, but his, person, his personal intervention. And when you see God move in a personal way, it causes awe in you. But right? if you've ever been in a situation where God has very clearly answered a prayer, or God has very clearly moved in a way that maybe you didn't even ask for, right? in those moments, there is an awe and a wonderment towards God that actually might cause you to want to sing. I remember a little over a year ago when we were in our old location, when we were raising money, or we, we found out that this location was available. Uh, this was pre-COVID when we could pack out an auditorium and there was no uh, fear or anything like that. And so we were at our old space. We had run out of room. Uh, this space had come available. And basically, we, I stood before you guys and I said, uh, we, have to raise, we need to raise about $75,000 over the next two weeks in, in commitments uh, so that we can move into this building. Um, if we can't, then we just won't be able to move. And it's not like a guilt thing. It's just that's where we are. Uh, and so over the next two weeks, uh, we asked people, we shared, and then we had our commitment Sunday where we asked people to fill out a card. What would they financially give above their normal offering over the next six months so that we could move into the space? And uh, to be honest, I thought $75,000, I, th- I, think, I think we could probably hit it, and we really need to hit it because the rent here is going to be a lot more expensive over the next year, and uh, you know we need to buy some equipment to move in here. And so I remember that Sunday, uh, some people weren't there, and so they had already said what their commitment was going to be, and we had these cards, and they were all placed in a box. And I waited until everybody left. I was like, I'm going to see if we hit this goal, but I don't want to be in your round anyone because I'll be disappointed if we don't. And so I waited until everybody left. And I took the box into my office, and I have this big stack of cards. And I start going through the cards, and I'm like, okay, we're almost there. And then we get to about $75,000, and there's still like, I'm, I'm like 60% of the way through the cards. There's still 40% more. And so as I'm seeing the numbers go up and up and up, and I'm just kind of struck and in awe, uh, we ended up raising $118,000 in commitments, which was actually absolutely phenomenal. Uh, because we really needed about $100,000 to $110,000 to move into the space uh, and to be okay. And I was worried that if I said anything over $75,000, everyone would be like, what? Like, we can't do that. Um, and so in that time, as I'm reading these cards, as I'm driving home, I'm just like in shock. And I can't believe it. And I'm in awe about what God has done. And when you see God move faithfully and personally in that way, it causes awe and bewilderment in you. And what's so cool about this is that we've actually seen, since we moved into this space, 105000 of that $118,000 in commitment. Uh, that's about 90%. And if for, 
If you're not familiar, that is a much higher percentage than what you typically see when you do any sort of fundraising campaign. A lot Normally, what you actually see committed and what actually comes in is a lot less than that. Because of your faithful generosity, we've been able to move in here even during this pandemic and still continue what we are doing. But in that moment, on that Sunday as I'm driving home, I am in awe because of God's personal intervention, right? It causes us bewilderment and awe, and this is what the Israelites have experienced. And so we sing, and we sing that God cares for us, not just the Israelites, but in the coming of Jesus, that he's personally caring for his creation. It causes us to sing. That is another theme that we see from the song, and it is why Christians sing, because of the personal intervention of our God. Now, here's the third reason that we see from this, uh, from this song in Exodus 15, and that's this, is that we sing because of God's loyal love towards us. Here's what it says uh, in verse 13. Or sorry, I'll read verse 11 through 13. It says, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead your people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. What we see happening here is God is not only powerful, but he's different. There is something different about Yahweh among the other gods at the various cultures at the time worship. When it says there are no other gods like him, why can they say that, right? It can't just be because God, Yahweh, is powerful and mighty, right? Because all of the cultures believed their God was powerful or their gods were powerful and mighty. That is not a unique characteristic. One of the reasons that makes him unique and different is because of his faithful love. Not just his power, but his faithful love. And in verse 13, when it says faithful love, um, and it's actually from the Hebrew word hesed, or more uh, accurately pronounced, chesed. I don't speak Hebrew, so I'm just going to keep with chesed. And chesed is translated here as faithful love. It's interesting. It's a little nerdy Bible trick or reading thing if you ever want to do. Uh, sometimes if you read different translations, and there are different uh, translations or different, yeah, different translations of the same word, it means that the authors are having a hard time or the translators are having a hard time finding an English word or phrase that accurately uh, demonstrates what's happening here. And so in, in, our ver- in the version that we're reading here, it says faithful love in, ch- in verse 13. Other versions will say steadfast love or your loving kindness and uh, things like that. What's happening here is this word hesed, there really is no English equivalent in terms of a single word or a phrase that accurately describes what, what, the, is- what the scripture writers mean when they describe God's love as hesed, which is throughout all of the Old Testament. Hesed really means a, a loyal love. I think as I heard one, uh, one group of people explaining it, uh, loyal love is helpful because it d- demonstrates hesed means that God loves us, but he also has uh, obliged himself in a commitment to us. But it's not just the fact that he loves us because he says that he will, and so he has to keep loving us, but he says that he will, and he has to keep loving us, but he also wants to love us. It is a loyal love. You can kind of think of it this way. One of the best ways that I've heard it described uh, is that when we talk about love, we kind of think of like emotional fluttering, right? Like you you butterflies and you're excited. You kind of think of like maybe uh, when a bride and a groom get married and they exchange vows, right? And they commit themselves to one another. Uh, And reality is when you exchange those vows, if you've been married or you are married, at the beginning, you really don't know what you're committing to, right? You're saying you're going to do it. And then when life happens, so for example, uh, when the husband gets what's called a man cold, and he acts like the world's going to end. And the wife's like, wait, sickness and in health, did we say that? I'm, are we sure here, right? What we think happening is 
uh, that you stay married just because that you said that you would, and so you have to do it. Uh, but hesed, this loyal love, is actually better described, as you could think of it this way, of like a, 50, a couple that had been married for over 50 years. And let's say the wife has a debilitating illness that causes her husband to have to care for her 24-7. In that moment, you have a husband who is caring for his wife, not just because he said that he wants to, but because there is no one else he'd rather be with. There is no one else he'd rather spend time with, and although it's work and it's effort and he promised to do it, he actually also wants to do it. This is the type of love that we see all throughout Scripture, that God has binded himself. He has promised to love us, but he also wants to love us. It is his loyal love, his unending committed love that causes us to sing. That as we fall short, as we blow it, as we go our own way in the midst of our doubts and our questions and our our unsureness of life, and sometimes our unsureness of God, he is still faithful to us, his loyal love. And so we sing not because of his, only because of his unmatched power and not just because he's personally intervened on our behalf, but because of his loyal love to us, his committed love to us that no matter what, he will never turn his back on us. And so we sing because of the loyal love of God. And this in us, this causes an emotive response that simply speaking about God or talking about God cannot always articulate or capture. And so we sing. And the last, the fourth theme that we see from Exodus 15 about why we sing is that we sing because of our future victory. They were singing not just because of what just happened, but because of what God had promised in the future. I'll read verses 14 through 18 again. It says this, When the peoples hear, talking about the surrounding nations, when the peoples hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan will panic. Terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm, your people pass by. Lord, until your people whom you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession, Lord. You have prepared the place of your dwelling, Lord. Your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. What we see here is that the glory of God that was displayed in these enslaved people was so strong that it caused the surrounding nations to be in awe and obviously in, in some ways be scared to move because of what transpired. If you, transpired, if you remember, uh, they're in this mighty nation of Egypt. And so these other nations hear about how this mighty, the most powerful nation on earth has disaster after disaster strike them. And then these enslaved people beat them and somehow leave. This would have caused an awe and wonderment, especially in a culture that was a lot more enchanted than our culture today, right? In our culture today, you have the supernatural or what we think is the supernatural and the natural, and they're kind of different things. And we kind of try to rationally explain certain things and maybe some things we can't explain. And so we might say that those things are from God. But in the biblical times, uh, that distinction didn't exist, right? God was a part of everything that happened. And so in more enchanted cultures, when you're not sure what's going on, and yet you see these people leave the most powerful nation on earth, they would have assumed that there was something special about these gods or their God that would make them afraid. It would make them in awe, and it would make them terrified to attack on them. Now, we like to think that if somebody terrorized us or somebody broke into our house, we'd go Jackie Chan and do like a roundhouse kick through their throat and like knock them out, right? That's what we like to think would happen. But actually, when we're scared, what do we do? 
we freeze up. Oftentimes, we do not move. And in fact, this is what we see happening. Later in the book of Joshua, when the Israelites enter into the promised land, we see that the surrounding nations are not afraid of the Israelites. They're not scared of the Israelites, but they're afraid of the Israelites' God. Because the God of Israel seems to do these miraculous things, and they are scared uh, about their God. And so they're not scared of the people. They're afraid of the God of Israel. And so the point we see happening here, and what this is relevant to us today, is that if our future is secure, we can trust him. That if God loves us and fights for us and redeemed us and has promised us grace and forgiveness, we can trust him even in our future. In other words, what are we to fear today, right? Just think of it this way. 10,000 years from now, uh, not much of what happens today will matter. Many of our fears, our anxieties, the things that scare us, the things that maybe motivate us won't really matter, right? And what this means, however, is not that bad things don't matter, don't impact us, right? If there are hard things in your life, even though that God loves you, even though that we have been promised a place in his kingdom where there are, is no more death and pain and suffering and tears, that does not mean when things happen here, they are not hard or, or they are not scary. Uh, for example, if something happened to Christina or one of my kids, right, I would be devastated. But even in the midst of that, our future is secure. My future would be secure. If you are in Christ, your future is secure. And so even in the uncertainties of everything that's happened, even this year, we can see because of our future victory that we will get to experience, not because of us, because of what Christ has done for us, right? And so we see throughout Exodus that we are commanded to sing, or throughout Scripture, we are commanded to sing. And so as we see these themes, it should not be, why do we have to sing? It should be, how could we not? How could we not sing when we see a God who is powerful and he's personally intervening in our behalf and he loves us with a loyal love that cannot be broken and that we have a future victory that God rescued them out of Israel and he also rescues us out of sin and darkness because the death of what Christ has done for us. How else could we respond when we see the wonderment of who God is and what he has done? This is why Israel sang and why we sing as well. And so here are the last couple of verses in Exodus 15 that I'll read, starting in verse 22. It says this. After this song that they composed and sang and would have sang for many generations, it says this in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became drinkable. The Lord made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all of his statutes, I will not inflict any of the illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where they were 12 springs and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the water. And so after the, all the amazing and craziness that happened in Egypt, um, he leaves them, and they travel for three days after leaving the Red Sea. They don't drink water for three days, which is significant. By this time, all the water they would have brought in would have been gone. And you got to remember, they have a lot of livestock and animals, and they have children. And so although they're, they're grumbling and complaining, we have to be honest, we probably might not be so excited uh, like they are. And the problem, however, is not that they want water. The problem here is that they're, they're forgetting that God is faithful. 
and that God will provide. And that's what causes them to grumble. And then what does God do? He shows his intervention, his power, his faithful love again by leading them to a spring where there is shade and there is water for them to rest before they continue on to their crazy journey. And so what I want to do here is I kind of come to a close. I want to invite the band back up onto the stage. Uh, and we're going to sing. We're going to sing in response to who God is and what God has done. And I think if we're honest, um, maybe I can only speak for myself. I think worship and singing through worship is something that we could do better at, that we could grow in. Demonstrate to us that we cannot follow God's law perfectly, that we fall short time and time and time again. And yet what does God do? Out of his power and his personal intervention and his faithful love and the future victory that he wants to give us in Jesus, he sends somebody himself in the form of a man to come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to defeat the powers of sin and darkness, to stand in our place the way that Israel never could, so that anybody, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what has been done to us, can taste and see that the Lord is good. The gospel is why we sing. We don't sing to make ourselves feel better because 2020 is hard and we just need to be encouraged. We sing because there is a true God. There is a real God who has come in the form of a man named Jesus and lived the perfect life we could not live, died the death that we deserved, and then resurrected and defeated death so that all of us can experience his grace and mercy. And all of us can take place and take a part of his future victory. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just explain real quickly some of the different ways that we sing. Some of the different ways and some of our responses that we sing throughout Scripture. One of the ways that we can respond as we sing is that sometimes we bow in reverence. Right? When we think of the mightiness of who God is, sometimes we bow in reverence. Here's what it says in Psalm 95, verse 6. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so sometimes when we sing, it causes a physical response in us. When we think about what God has done in our life and his power and his majesty, we see sometimes that we lift our hands in adoration, right? Sometimes we, we do this, right? We do this because um, it's kind of like when your team wins, right? And there's victory. What do you do when your team hits the last second shot? You freak out. At least I do, right? You put your hands in the way or, or your friend wins something or somebody does a great performance and you're excited, right? Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration because of who God is and the victory that he has promised. It says this in Psalm 63. It says, so I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. That's one of the responses that we can have in worship. We also see in the, in the scripture that sometimes we dance in celebration. Right? Sometimes we dance in celebration. I know we got a room full of white people, so that can make us a little nervous. But that's what it says in Psalm 149. It says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the tambourine and the lyre. Sometimes God's grace and mercy and power in our life causes us to move a little bit, even if it's offbeat. That's okay. Sometimes we dance in celebration. We see that sometimes, sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's hard. Here's what it says in Hebrews 13. It says, therefore, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of the lips that has confessed, that confess his name. Sometimes we worship and it is hard because we have a lot of doubts. We have a lot of questions and life's been really hard and it's been really unfair and we're not sure where God is. And so our worship is a sacrifice of saying, God, I don't see you. I don't feel you but I know that you're good. And so I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to worship you trusting that I will experience your goodness and kindness again. Sometimes we worship 
with a sacrifice of praise. And lastly, daily what we see, daily we lay down our lives as an act of worship. In Romans 12, 1, the last verse I'll read, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And what this means for us is that we worship no matter what's happening to us, right? In the job that I love or that a job that I hate, when I'm healthy and when I'm sick, when my finances are good and I've got enough in the bank account to have some fun, and when I don't know when my next, where my next paycheck is coming from. We worship in different ways and in different responses based on who we are and what God has done to us. Finally, here's what we see. Ultimately, we see that worship isn't something we do. It is who we are. As the people of God, worship isn't something we do to check a box. We worship, and for us, some of the, some of the, there are many ways to worship, but one of the ways to worship is through song. We sing and we worship, not as something to do, but because it's who we are in response of what God has done to us. And so as we get ready to sing, here's what I want to do. I want to read to you some of the names that Jesus has given throughout Scripture to remind us who we are singing to. Here's what we see throughout Scripture. We see that Jesus is our rock, and our Redeemer, our Righteousness, our Deliverer, and our Defense. We see throughout Scripture that Jesus is our shield, our salvation. He is our strength. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. He is the true vine. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We see throughout Scripture that he is the light of, uh, light of the world, that he is the Lamb of God on our behalf, and he is also the Lion of Judah, that he was slain for us, and at the same time, he fights our battles. We see throughout Scripture that God is ever-present, that he is all good, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so we offer our lives as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship isn't something we do. It is who we are. So if you will stand with me as we sing, as we respond to God and who he is, however that looks like to you. I want to read one more passage together, and the band is going to lead us in song. Here's what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 about who our God is and why we worship. It says this, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Tell all the nation the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love, his loyal love endures forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted. Amen. And all the people shouted. 